Amen. Thanks, uh, Ronnie. Um, it's just so evident that the Holy Spirit is busy moving this morning. Um, we felt it in the pre-service prayer, in the worship, and the words of encouragement and the prayers of encouragement that Michael and Kate have just shared. The Holy Spirit is here with us this morning. He's moving in our hearts, and He wants us to open up our hearts this morning. And so as we go and share the word this morning, I really pray and trust that you'll open up your heart to receive His word for you this morning, not for anyone else. Okay, and so for those of you who don't know me, um, my name is Shane Turner, and um, together with my wife Jess and three other amazing couples, we are part of the eldership team at Every Nation Chani at the Eladis Park congregation. And um, as a congregation, we usually meet at Wurschkel Waterkloof, but because the high school is currently a marking center for the matric papers, we unfortunately don't have a venue for the month of December. So to the Every Nation Chani Highfeld congregation, thank you for opening up your doors and allowing us just to come and fellowship with you and worship God together with you over the whole month of December. And I really believe that this is actually going to be quite a significant time, and I'm really excited and expectant for what's going to lie ahead in this time. It's going to be so special. And um, for those of you maybe who've been visiting for the, or only for a little while or they haven't been part of Every Nation for a long time, Every Nation Chani is one church with different congregations. And in fact, the High Felt and the Eladis Park congregations are the two congregations that form the southern cluster of Every Nation Chwane. So for us coming from Eladis Park, it's like us coming to our older brother for the month of December. So I hope you guys don't mind it, but we're coming to stay with you now during um, December. And, um, and this is that spiritual family, and that's something that we really value. And Jess and I have been a part of Every Nation for around 17 years already. And if there's one thing that really sticks out, and even just speaking to people in general, it's that feeling of family, that we belong. And so we do belong. We feel like we belong. We feel like we're part of your family as well. So thank you um, for having us this morning. And with that being said, I actually want to honor your leaders as well, Marinus and Catherine, and as well as Yaku and Riet, and the way in which they lead the congregation. And likewise with Retif and Isabel, and the way that they lead us at Eladis Park, you see, because they never build around themselves, because they always build around the truth, around the Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, even when none of them are here, all the Every Nation Chinese staff are away for a staff breakaway this weekend. So even that none of them are here, we as a church can still meet together, can still worship together, can still fellowship together, can still honor God together. Because we don't build around people, we build around Christ, Christ-centered. And so with that, I've got such an expectation and such a hope for the word that we're going to share this morning, and it's my privilege to be able to share the word with us this morning on revival. And um, for the benefit of us that are joining from Eladis Park, and for those of us that are joining for the first time today, the Highfield Congregation is actually busy with the sermon series on revival, how we as a church can be empowered to pursue revival how we as a church can trust and align ourselves to trust for revival by positioning our hearts to pray for revival. And I believe that this word is just so apt and so applicable for the situation that we currently find ourselves in at this moment as a country. 
And I believe and I really trust that the Lord wants to use this word to stir something up in our hearts regarding revival and how we position our hearts to continue to pray for revival in our city, but across the country as well, across the world. And so I hope that you open up your hearts to hear the word. And that's why I loved what Michael said and what Kate confirmed this morning as well. You see, it starts with us. It starts with our hearts and how we position ourselves to pray and to trust for revival. And um, not typically the word that comes to mind when I think of the word revival is transformation. A complete change, a, a complete renewal. So it's, like a, it's almost like a restoration of something back to its original design. A complete change, a complete renewal, a complete change in society, a complete change in our country back to the original design as God had created it to be. And if we look at the society around us, if we look at the world around us, and even just the country around us, we see so much brokenness. There's so much unforgiveness and hurt. Other words that might come up, maybe bitterness, selfishness. And because of the selfishness, it's almost like a longing to try and satisfy ourselves trying to run after things of this world to try and satisfy ourselves, but you realize we keep falling short. We keep falling short. You see, the world cannot satisfy us. And so where did, what does that leave us? It actually leaves us in a place sometimes of complete hopelessness. And I think if we look at society around us, we see that. And we see that the need for a restoration of relationships to take place. We see that we need a complete renewal of society. We need revival. And this is not going to come from any earthly leader. This is going to come from God. God is the one that brings revival. And so if we look at another definition or, or a, a definition of godly revival by Robert, Robert Coleman, we see that revival is the awakening or the quickening of God's people to their true nature and to their true purpose, bringing people back to our original design, back into right standing, back into relationship with God. That's what Michael is trusting for, for his father. That is revival. It's a restoration of relationships. And so at the, underneath all these many different definitions of revival, at the heart of revival, it's about a restoration of relationships. And there's four relationships on this earth that need, need to be restored. The first relationship that needs to be restored is between us, man, and God. And that happens with ourselves. It happens in our hearts. It happens the moment that we become born again, that we become in right standing with God. And then from that place of salvation, as believers, we see that that restoration flows over into the relationship that we have with creation, that which God has given us to look after, that what God has given us to steward. Then it also restores the relationship that we have on our, of ourselves, our identity. Who are we in Christ? Who do we believe we are? Who does God say we are? And then ultimately it ends with the restoration of relationships with one another, which appears and looks like and manifests as revival. And so ultimately revival starts with ourselves in our hearts, with an understanding of who God is and who we are in God. That's where revival starts. And so in order for us to pursue and to pray for revival, 
It's important that we have an accurate knowledge of God. And that's what this whole sermon series has been based on. And three weeks ago, and just, I'm just quickly giving a recap for the benefit of those that weren't here over the past three weeks. But three weeks ago, Andre kicked off the sermon series, and he shared on the knowledge of God and, um, and how we can take this knowledge that we have of God from our head and apply it in our hearts to trust it, to believe it, to trust Him, to believe Him, and to ultimately to know Him to know God and to know His heart. And then two weeks ago, Yaku shared on the knowledge of God, the Father, and His heart for creation as per the original design. How did God create the world? How did He create us? And then he also shared from 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 about how we can respond to that, how we are called to humble ourselves and to pray, how we are called to turn away from our wickedness turn away from our sin and to seek his face and how he then promises that he will hear from heaven, he will forgive our land, he will forgive us our sins, and he will bring healing, both physically and across the land. That is the promise that God has given us. And in fact, the last couple of days, there's been quite a widespread call for us as believers across this country to pray exactly into this specific uh, scripture, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 where we can humble ourselves and pray and know that God is faithful. He will answer, He will forgive, and He will heal our land. And then last week, Marielle shared on the knowledge of God, the Son, just reflecting on the life of Jesus, how He was the Lamb. He is our Savior, but not only is He our, is he our Savior, He's also our Lord, the Lion, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, he is our Lord sitting in heaven, and one day He's going to come back to come and fetch His bride, to come and bring restoration, complete restoration. But this time when He comes back, it's going to be different. And how are we aligning ourselves under His Lordship in obedience? And then this morning, I'm going to be sharing then lastly on the knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit. And I believe that we will not see revival whether it be um, in our prayer life, whether it be expectantly as we pray in our hearts, or whether it be actually in fruition apart from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the scripture that we're going to read from this morning is from John 14. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn there. Um, and whilst you're turning there, I just want to quickly just pray specifically for this. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet. That your word gives us direction and it guides us into all truth. And so, Father, I pray that as we share the word this morning, Lord, that you will come and break this word open. Holy Spirit, come. Come and move in our hearts. Come and make this word that we share applicable to ourselves. Lord, so that you may receive all the honor and all the glory. Amen. Okay, John 14, and I think just again, so the book of John, the gospel of John was written by the disciple John, someone that knew Jesus very well, and the purpose of, the, of John's writing was to firstly to prove, uh, was to firstly prove the deity of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, and how 
through his life and, and the life that he lived and his death, that we can receive eternal life. You see how through the life of Jesus, restoration can take place. We can re- be restored back into right standing with him. And so ultimately, the book of John was written about revival. And so let's read John 14, verse 12. And remember, this is now Jesus speaking. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What a promise. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Who believes that? Who truly believes that? I see that hand. Um, that's awesome. And I mean, but how is this possible? Let's read further. You see, then it says, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. So it starts with obedience. And I'm not going to share on that. That's what Marielle shared on last week. So if you missed it, go and listen to it again. It was such a great word on abiding under, his, under Jesus' lordship, under his obedience. But then going further, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And then verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. So, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Amen. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And this is just such an incredible passage of Scripture, and in fact, the whole of John 13 to John 17, which is what the sermon series has been based on, was where Jesus was um, having the Last Supper with his disciples, just before he was about to go be arrested later that evening and then be crucified. And this was his last words of encouragement. So, I mean, there was this, you can imagine that there was this enormous amount of significance and words of encouragement, words of empowerment that Jesus left with his disciples when he was saying this, knowing what was to come, um, knowing that he would be arrested. And so I believe that this word that Jesus shared with his disciples was a word of encouragement to tell them, to give them vision of what the potential that they had inside of them. And I believe that we can apply that to our lives as well, that we can take this word, apply it in our lives, and see the potential that we as born-again believers have through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that uh, stood out for me from this scripture 
was, the, was this, this unique relationship that Jesus had with his Father and the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's, you'll, see, you'll always see that there's this precious unity between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it has been this way since the beginning, since the creation, when God created everything. We know that the Trinity of God created everything. If you go and read in Genesis, you'll read there, it says, God said, let us create mankind in our image, talking to the Trinity. So it's not like you had God the Father that created, and then later Jesus came, and then later the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity of God. Jesus is part of the Trinity of God. They have this unique relationship. They have this precious unity that they're protected, and anything that any one of them do is always for the ultimate glory of God as a collective. Even when Jesus was on earth, we read here in John that Jesus said that the words that he speaks and the life that he lives isn't on his own accord. He only does that which the Father commanded him to do in unity with the Father. And we read, and this was prophesied actually even before Jesus lived in Isaiah 11, that the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. You see, there was the unity, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, always, ultimately for the glory of God. And so if we read this prophecy, uh, the prophecy from Isaiah 11, it just gives us a picture of, of the nature of the Holy Spirit as well, the Spirit that would rest on Jesus. Isaiah 11 verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a, bar- a branch will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's his nature. And I'm going to come back to this at the end where I say how how he helps us in our weakness. But you see, he's got wisdom, knowledge, understanding, power, might. That's the nature of the Holy Spirit alive in us today. And then verse 3 where he says, and he, Jesus, will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear, in the knowledge, in the obedience of doing the will of the Father. And in fact, if you go and read the rest of Isaiah 11, it speaks about revival that will take place, how things, how there's this absolute, complete restoration. There's this complete peace that comes as a result of this unity, as a result of this life of Jesus. And so when Jesus was walking on earth, we saw that revival was happening everywhere where he moved in the towns that he moved in, in the towns that he ministered in, what was left was revival. There was change. That which was broken was fixed. Relationships that were broken were restored. There was forgiveness. There was peace. And ultimately, when Jesus lived, he brought the first revival on earth. But we see Jesus says, but you will do even greater things than I have been doing when he spoke to his disciples. You see, what Jesus did was the picture of the first revival, and it is only a picture of that which is still to come. And that picture is shown so nicely in the rest of Isaiah 11. And you can go and read it, and it's again just how you see it. It's stuff that doesn't make sense, but it makes sense because God is the one that brings about the restoration. And that gives us a hope. We might look at the world, we might look at situations and think, but how is that even possible? You see, it is possible because God God brings about a revival. And so that's why 
um, Jesus, he knew what it meant to experience, to be part of revival. But he left the words of encouragement to say, but I will not leave you. Yes, I'm going to leave you in the flesh. But the Spirit, after me, God the Father will send the Spirit in my name so that you may be, uh, be powerful witnesses, that, that you may receive power to be witnesses. And that power is available to all of us who believe. In fact, um, and so the first piece of knowledge that we can take out of the Scripture is that there's a promise that we as believers will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Like I said, God is the one that restores. But through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, we can pray for and we can preach and we can minister to people so that their hearts can be changed, so that their hearts can be made open so that revival can take place, so that God can work, God can work in their lives. And that's the power that we receive. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. He is here with us. And he firstly, he reminds us of two things. He gives us two things. The first thing that he does is he reminds us of our restored relationship with God, that we are now in right standing with God. He reminds us of who God is and who we are in Christ. He reminds us of our true nature, our true purpose, as God had intended when he created us as mankind. And then the second thing that he does through his power is he transforms normal people like you and I into powerful, effective witnesses for Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says that God exerted his mighty power when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand. God exerted his supernatural strength when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Ephesians 1.19. But you know what that scripture also says? It says the same power is alive in all of us today who believe. Do we believe it? Do we believe that we have access to this power through the presence, through the relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do we believe it? Amen. You see, when Jesus moved on earth, revival was happening in one place at one time in one area, through his presence, through his power, through the ministry that he spoke. But now that we have received the power of the Holy Spirit, us as believers, we can minister across the world, and revival can take place all across the world, all at the same time through the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit alive in our, world, in our lives today. That is the power of the church. That is the power of the Holy Spirit alive and at work in our lives today as born-again believers. And that is why Jesus told his disciples to go and wait, to not start their ministry, to not start to do anything apart from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, even Jesus, if you think, if you read the scripture, when, when he, before he began his ministry, when he was baptized, we read that um, John baptized him in the water, and as he came up out of the water, the heaven opened, and God spoke to him. The Father spoke to him and said, this is my son with whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, picture of unity, a picture of this restoration. Not, not that Jesus' relationship really needed to be restored with the Father, but that there was this perfect relationship between the Son and the Father. And then after that, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. 
and the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tested. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, was the one that led Jesus to be an effective minister. We have access to the same Spirit today. Are we quenching Him? Or are we inviting Him into our lives, into our hearts, to help us to be effective ministers, to be effective witnesses for Christ? You see, the Holy Spirit was not just promised for the first believers. Not, he was not just promised for the first disciples. Yes, we see the picture of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit there. But the Holy Spirit is promised to all who believe, to all who ask. That includes every single one of us. We can receive this power. And that is why Jesus asks us and calls us to ask to receive the empowerment, to be receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered to not only pray, but to go, to be effective ministers so that revival can take place as well. So going back to the, the scripture there in verse 16, John 14, 16, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you he will give you, that's a promise, a promise that we can hold on to, another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And the word that we read there for Holy Spirit is the word advocate. And the original Greek word there is parakletos. And I just love this word because it just gives me this picture of what the Holy Spirit, what he does for us on earth. And the word parakletos can be broken up into two components, para and kletos. And therefore, the loudest part congregation, parakletos. And a little bit of Afrikaans rolling of the R's. But, um, but the word para is where we get the word parallel from. And it means to come alongside. Like if you think of a train track that runs in parallel alongside one another. You see, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us on earth. He comes next to us. He comes and supports us. He walks with us. He doesn't leave us. We have access to God with us through the Holy Spirit walking in parallel with us on earth. And then Kletos. So now that we know he's here with us, what does he do? He, rem he calls us and invites us. He reminds us of the truth. He comes next to us and he calls us and he reminds us to walk in the truth, to experience the truth, to minister from the power of the truth. And so as the advocate, he is the one that stands in the gap for us. He is God with us. And what's interesting, I don't know if you picked up, but you see he says he is another advocate. So who is the other advocate? Jesus. Jesus is the first, or he is the one advocate. The Holy Spirit is the second. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's busy interceding for us from heaven. But the Holy Spirit is the one that is interceding with us and for us, encouraging us, helping us, comforting us on earth so that we can receive his power to what? To witness, to pray, to pursue for revival. He strengthens us. He helps us in our weakness. He is the spirit of truth. 
And this is important because I believe that we're living in a time where the enemy wants to come and distort the truth. The enemy wants to come and corrupt the truth. The enemy wants to come and steal the truth. But we see he is the spirit of truth. He reminds us of the truth. He helps us to walk in the truth. And that is why it is so important that when we pray, that, that we pray for the protection of the truth. In our schools, in our society, we must continue to pray that the truth may be protected so that revival can take place. You see, it cannot, revival cannot take place apart from the truth because it is the truth, Jesus, it is God that brings about revival. So let's continue to pray the truth. Let's continue to trust and to pursue the truth. So how does he do this? How does he remind us? And that's where we go back to Isaiah 11. We see that the Holy Spirit, his nature, who he is, is he is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. So he gives us the insight. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us the understanding to help us when we pray. He is our helper. He is, our, he is the spirit of counsel and might. So he is our counselor, the one that stands in the gap, the one that represents, the one that gives us the power, the one that gives us the might when we pray. He gives us the authority to pray fervently, to pray persistently, to pray with authority, not in our strength, but in his strength. That's the access that the Holy Spirit gives us to God. Then we see, thirdly, he is the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He is the one that breaks the word open for us. So when we read the scripture, he reveals deeper meanings. He reveals deeper um, truths that we can take out of the scripture. And so from that, he transforms our head knowledge into heart knowledge so that we believe it, that we live it, that we trust it. He helps us to walk in obedience. Remember, revival starts from a place of obedience where we seek God and how he responds but the Holy Spirit helps every single one of us to firstly walk in obedience. And then we just see, I'll just very quickly, He is here for us. So He will be with us forever. John 14, 16. He lives with us and in us. John 14, 17. He lives with us and in us. He is personal. He wants us to know Him. He wants to make himself known to us. He wants to reveal God's heart for his creation with us. Are we opening up our hearts and allowing him to minister to us? Or are we quenching him? Are we resisting him? Are we trying to do it on our own? Family, we can never do this on our own. And that is why when we prayed, we declared earlier, Holy Spirit, come. If you pour it, we will drink it. That is what we are declaring when we sing that song. Holy Spirit, come. We cannot do this on ourselves. We need your power. We need your presence. Help us so that we can be effective witnesses, so that revival can take place. But so often we just quench him, and then we wonder why nothing is happening. He is God with us. He teaches us, John 14, 26. He reminds us of Jesus' words. 1526. And again, this is something that I've just experienced so much, even in our connect groups and when people come and they ask for something or they ask us to pray, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. 
And Holy Spirit, come, help us. Give us the words to pray. And we started praying in our tongues, and we started praying in the Spirit. And then He reveals truths. He reminds us of what we need to pray. He reminds us of Jesus' teachings so that we can then witness, we can then minister to the person. You see, but we have access to His power through His presence. Then He convicts us of our sin, and He shows God's righteousness and announces God's judgment on evil. He gives insight into future events through prophecy, through words of prophecy. He gives us hope. He gives us a word that we can uh, pray into. And then he brings glory to Christ. But ultimately, we see that he is the spirit of truth. He reminds us of the truth. He reminds us of the word. And so because of this truth, we know that what we pray is in align with God's will And so because of this presence, because of this knowledge of the Holy Spirit, because of the knowledge that He gives us, we can pray with peace. We can pray with confidence, knowing that which which we pray in accordance with His will, will come to pass. That's what Jesus promised His disciples when He spoke to them in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. It will come to pass. That is the same for us today. You see, when we pray in accordance with the Word, when we pray in accordance with the truth, We can have an expectation that it will come to pass. We don't have to pray out of fear. James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Who are the righteous men? All of us who believe. Our prayer is powerful and effective. And so because we know of this power that we have, because we know that our prayers are powerful and effective, we can remain persistent in in prayer. And we can continue to pray and continue to pray and continue to pray, not out of fear, but out of expectation, knowing what is to come. And um, those of you that were here in the first week would have heard when Andre shared on um, a statement made by Mike, or one of the things that Mike Bickle said now, that Mike Bickle said, and Mike Bickle was one of the founders of the International House of Prayer, and um, he's someone that has studied revival at quite length over, you know, several, I think almost decades. Um, And what he said was, he says, the prayer for revival or praying for revival is not measured in weeks or months or years. It is measured in decades. That is persistence. To pray for something, to trust for something in decades are we aligning ourselves to just do one sort of quick bubblegum prayers or popcorn prayers or whatever we want to call it, just quick things? Or are we really pressing in and trusting God for revival? Are we, are we praying expectantly for it to happen? And um, two weeks ago, also when Yaku then shared, he just shared on the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray from Matthew 6, where he says, Father, um, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a general prayer. That's a general prayer for revival, and we can pray that. But we read in John 17, and you can turn there with me as well, that just before Jesus was, he was busy teaching his disciples at the Last Supper, just before he went away to be um, captured and then crucified, he also prayed. And he prayed into three specific areas that I believe that we can learn from and we can still apply in our lives today. 
And so we read there, we see that Jesus prayed for himself and for the glory uh, and for the glorification of God. John 17, verse 1, he says, Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. So when we pray, let's pray and trust that God's name will be glorified. It's never about a person. It's always for the glory of God. It's whether it be relationships that are restored, whether it be marriages that are restored, businesses that are restored, whatever the restoration is that we are longing for, that we are trusting for, may it always result in the glorification of God, that God's name may be glorified. Then we see that Jesus also prayed for his disciples. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So we can pray for the protection and the unity of the church, something that we as a church really value and believe. But let's continue to pray for the unity and the protection of the church. Again, looking back at the life of Jesus, we saw that that revival happened out of a place of unity. But let's be a church, let's be a disciples, let's be a nation that prays and, and strives for unity within the different congregations. This is not a denomination or a congregation thing. This is a believer's thing. So let's get people around us and to continue to pray and to pursue with us for this which we are longing for. And then verse 15, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, that you not isolate them from the world. No, but that you protect them from the evil one. Are we going to face resistance as we pray for revival? Yes. Are we going to face persecution? Are we going to face difficult times? Yes. But we can pray that the Lord will protect us from the attacks of the enemy, from the attacks of the evil one. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, Greater is he living in me than he that is in the world. That is the confidence that we can take as we go into the world, as we go and proclaim the gospel, as we go and share the good news, is that we've got someone, the King of Kings, is alive in us today, greater than anything in the world, any fear, any anxiety that the world can give us. God is greater than that because he's alive in us today. We are protected. And then thirdly, we see there that Jesus prays for the future believers. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Again, a picture of unity between the not yet the future believers and the believers. But how is it going to come? It's going to come through their message. Who's going to bring the message? It's us. We are the witnesses. We are called to be witnesses. And so we receive power to witness, but we also receive power to pray. But we are the ones that are going to bring the message. And so when we pray, yes, we're called to go, but we're looking at prayer. So when we pray, how do we pray for the future believers? Do we see them as non-believers? Or do we see them as not yet believers? Future believers. You see, I believe that when, when we see the world 
and people in accordance with the knowledge of God and His heart and His love for creation as future believers rather than non-believers, I believe that our lifestyles will look different. I believe that our prayer language will be different. We have all been created in the image of God. Some of us have just not yet been restored to that image. But we as Christians, as born-again believers, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, have a part to play in this. I remember when we, when we came up to Every Nation Chwane from, um, from the Western Cape and we came here in 2011, the vision of Every Nation Chwane at that stage was we see a transformed city filled with God-honoring disciples impacting nations. And when I, read, when I saw that, when I really tried to understand what that meant, it knocked me off my feet. And the way that I saw the community and the society around me changed completely. The way that I prayed for not yet believers changed completely. You see, there is a hope. They haven't been written off. Society hasn't been written off. Who is our hope? Jesus. Who's going to bring the hope? Us. Through the message of reconciliation, through the power of the Spirit. And so I want to ask you, as we're going to go just now into a time of prayer, specifically for um, our, our context, our community, but for the country as well, what do you see? Do you see the brokenness, the restlessness, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the hopelessness, whatever it may be? What, do you see it for what it is as a sign of the times? This is just now what it is. Or do we see it for the hope that, we, that, we, that, it, that it can be? Do we see, do we genuinely see and believe that we can see a transformed city, a changed city, a revived city, a revived nation, families restored, and, and relationships that we didn't expect to be restored? Do we really genuinely see that in our hearts and believe it, that we can see a transformed city? filled with God-honoring disciples, being bold witnesses, not only for our communities, but impacting nations. Do we genuinely see that? And are we praying into that? Are we pursuing that? And I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through His presence that guides us, and through His power that gives us the power to pray that into fruition, we can see it. I genuinely believe it. And what we're going to do now, as that the Highfield congregation has been doing over the last three weeks, we're going to have a moment now where we just pray in groups of three or four, and we're going to pray specifically into this. But we're going to pray from the promise from Luke 11, verse 9, which says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will will be open to you. For everyone who seeks or who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's the promise. That's the hope. That's the power that we carry as we pray. And so I want you just to close your eyes and maybe just turn into groups. Um, maybe first turn into the groups of threes and fours and then close your eyes. Um, but just turn into groups of, groups of three and fours quickly. We're going to pray into this. 
I think as everyone just quietens down, as we're about to pray, maybe the Holy Spirit just came and just shared something on your heart, and maybe you feel that you can't pray for restoration because your relationship with God is not yet restored. You don't know this God. You haven't made a commitment to follow Him. See, that's the starting point, is, is submitting under His Lordship, is becoming obedient to His Word. So if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior, and you want to do that now before we pray, won't you just raise your hand? Awesome. I trust that that means that we all then have a relationship with God. We all have access to this relationship. But then maybe there's a second prayer that, almost like what, what, what Michael shared earlier, and it's such a, a timely word that he shared, but maybe you're also first trying, praying for something personally, a relationship. Maybe there's a relationship in your own life that's not restored, or there's someone that you're specifically praying for to be restored to relationship with God for their salvation. If that's you, I want you just to pray into that first. Ask God, and maybe you need to ask for forgiveness for someone. Ask God to forgive you first. And then you can pray for the nation. So you can just pray that in your groups. And we're going to just pray like this for about three or four minutes. And then we'll close.